pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Welcome to Declarations of War, back again for another episode here with you today. Super excited, you guys. We have the mysterious third co-host in the building. First, our regular co-host, Artemis Albosa. Howdy, howdy. And introducing our brand new regular co-host, Noir's top FC, Levitine. Not quite top, but good day, everyone. Good day. Uh, uh, you, can we quickly talk you unflatter about yourself, you sir. Shoot that name. What? Leva Time. That's how I've been saying it for like how many years? Leva, is that really how you pronounce your name? I've given up so many different combinations. <laughs> it's Leva Time. Jesus. Yeah, Leva Time. Time pain. Get off there's my back. Guy, there's a guy in Fleet who seriously calls me Leaf. Oh, my ears bleed. <laughs> leaf on the wind. All right. Let's get to our shout-outs, and then we want to really get to know Lave here. First, to everyone involved in the planning and preparation of Eve Vegas. This is an event that never disappoints, and it's really thanks to the hard work of some very dedicated players and some very generous devs. So thank you very much. Really looking forward to seeing everyone in about two weeks, where we'll hopefully do another live episode. My shout-out goes to CCP and the CSM for getting us the most detailed minutes to date. And getting them out quickly as well. Super excited. Leave. My shout out goes to the participants, past and present. I think present company included, of a uh, Rome and a fleet that we tend to do in MC at least once or twice a week. The After Eights Club. Guys, we have lots of fun. We have a lot of practice. We try lots of new things, and really, it's one of the things that keeps me going right now. On in the game itself, that. People are willing to come and try absolute crazy stuff with me, go out and kill people, and generally have fun. So, cheers, guys. Big fan of After Eights. It's kind of the spiritual successor to the Breakfast Club. That is indeed the source of its name. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lave, let the audience get to know you. Um, what was your life pre-Noir? How did you get started? Uh, what was your passion in the game when you first came in? And how did that change to being in FC? It's a pretty interesting route. I mean, it probably would surprise quite a few people. I started out as an industrialist, as a miner. My first character is Exumus Five. This is this was years ago, before the the Rorqual basically smashed everything into pieces. Um, and really, I think my my kind of instruction with PvP really started when our little corp, which was a corporation called Nova Savem, um, started getting war decks by people. And really, no one really knew how to kind of PvP. So decided to start learning. Um, cut my teeth around about the Hymatar Metropolis area. Um, and then we have a brief spent with Genos and the Garma. Oh, Garma, what's his name? Garmon. Garmon. Yeah. That's him. Um, I think beyond that, then I'd, I'd kind of heard about Noir at the time. Um, applied. Didn't expect to get into Noir on the first time. I expected to be kind of shown the door. And very surprised when I got into Noir. Um, and this would, technically speaking, be my third stint in Noir right now. I've had, had, a, had a break, kind of fly with some other guys, and then came back and then had a good two to three year hiatus from the game. And like Eve just seems to do, I, I've returned. 
new location, new ships, everything's changed. Um, but no, it's been it's been a good ride up to now back in Noir. And I've set, I, I left doing a bit of FC. I think I've come back doing a bit more of FC. I think I'll, I think generally speaking, as a as a fleet commander, I think I just generally fly a bit looser these days and will try a lot of different things. And that's the nice thing about FC is that I can make a ship or a fleet and an idea and basically say, come with me and let's get kills. It's yeah. Control it. <laughs> you have done quite well for yourself as an FC. Uh, what are some of your favorite fleet doctrines? Uh, so we, we redesigned the Retribution fleet that I think there was kind of a, a something that was in the Noir armory. And especially with the ADC change, combining with deacons of varying fits, so we would generally run the um, AB retributions, but we'd generally run 10 nm deacons. We call them dragsters because they fly like dragsters. If you try to align with one of the 10 nm afterburner run, you're slingshot out of the system. But really powerful, really difficult to hit from doctrines. More recently, we've been experimenting a bit. So right now, one of my favorites are the Hecates. These are the tech-free uh, tactical destroyers of the Galente. Um, we generally fly, fly them a bit like cormorants, so they have railguns. So they put down about 230 DPS at 80 kilometers, or over 400 in, in, inside 30 if you want them. And if you go prop mode, you basically insta-warp. So they have a sub-two-second align time. And they're really fun as a, as a, as a fast-attack skirmish doctrine because they can outrun almost anything out there. And you can be really aggressive with them. We've been using them in Delve. Um, hello, anyone in Delve we've killed with these and who's been dropping Titans on us, trying to chase us. Nice to meet you. And we've got we've been testing the Damavix recently. I'm looking forward to seeing the October change. Um, not sure about the the change of the, of the of the of the low slot to the medium slot. It kind of makes it a little bit of a uh, doesn't quite know what the ship is anymore. Yeah, um, uh, I wanted to get pick your brain on that because I've been thinking a lot about how to implement the ship into either its own fleet or as a support ship for other fleets. The CSM minutes seem to imply that the slot change is meant to increase adoption, but now I don't really think it has a place anywhere. Uh, solo PvP, I think, is where they're looking for the third mid-slot to really come to its own. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, with regards to the Demovic, it's currently in a in a three four two in a three two four uh, layout, uh, two mids four lows. So, and obviously, big bonuses to RR and neutralizers and smart bombs. Don't know whoever uses it for smart bombs these days. To be fair, um, and it's generally it's quite a powerful ship. So we ran them as as a kind of like a snatch fleet with um, command destroyer support and and one and M deacons. And they tank really well, and they do over 300 DPS with Tech 2. It's really easy to skill into them. One of the nice things about, or one of the interesting things about the change coming up is that it now opens up, and this is weird, a shield Damovic. Um, you can, the current, the currently armored Damovic fleets we have are about 8k effective without links. And post change, they're going to be about 6.5 in both armor and shield. But here's the funny thing. If you fit the Damovic up right in a shield snatch fleet, almost like a Goku, you can push it past 500 DPS with drones. Now that's post-ramp up, right? Yeah. And how long does the Damovic take to ramp up? Because it doesn't have the cycle time bonus like the Lashak, right? No, you're reliant upon your damage mods to speed that up. So about 65, 70 seconds. That so was a long time, Eve. Yeah, you'd think about basically 250-ish... Uh, 200 250 dps at the start 
and they, the longer you stay on in range of them, the worse it gets for the enemy. We're going to be running this and seeing what happens. It might die horribly in a fire. That's Eve. Yeah, I was looking at the shield one. I think my main issue with it is the lack of tank. Um, if you go armor, you can get a nice balance of speed, DPS, and still some toughness. I think with the shield version, I was really disappointed with how much I was able to get into it. Yeah, you, you basically have to run that with scalpels or Kirins with dead space reppers, um, and obviously the boost on it. So, I mean, you're, you're not going to tank as much in the shield version as in the armor, um, so you'll have to obviously do that, but obviously account for that. The good thing about the Damovic is it's actually surprisingly fast and it's surprisingly nimble. I mean, this thing will rock uh, 1.1k a second, 1.2k a second after burning without any problems, and links will push that higher. So it's still going to be a, a tough ship to hit in close. It'll need control to slow it down, certainly. Now, when you're after burning at that speed, is it actually able to track? That's uh, the, something the we get a lot of questions. Are surprisingly good at tracking. Even about even when you look at that up to the Lashak level, they're surprisingly good tracking um, compared to what they are. Cool. I'm really excited to see how this plays out. All right, let's get into some topics here. First, uh, we want to give a shout out to our advertising partner, Eve Onion. Eve Onion has exclusive insight into the CCP balance process around wormholes. Obviously, uh, we covered this last show. CCP had announced some changes to the 500MN Hick. Those changes were not well received. And they wound up, uh, I wouldn't say caving, but kind of caving to the player base's concerns and still removed it, but added another module that does the exact same thing to the mass of the Hickter so it can still collapse but it no longer has any of the warp disruption capabilities around it. So it's collapsing holes, but not doing anything else. It's still hick specific even though it I guess, didn't really have to be, uh, but that's where we're at. Um, check out eveonion.com. We break the news of Eve Online for exclusive insight into more of that issue. You know, it's a big deal for a lot of our wormhole listeners out there. We had a poll also in the same balance patch that they announced where the hick changes. ECM is being changed into more of a taunt mechanic, where you will jam a ship, it won't be able to lock anything except you. And if it's a drone, it'll be able to lock that drone. It will not break the lock if they already have you locked. We asked the audience, are you pleased with the ECM changes? 60% are not pleased. Lee, what do you think? It's an interesting mechanic, because the ECM is broken, but I, I'd be the first to say I don't have an obvious surefire fix for it. What it does right now in this in this new iteration, um, first off, it basically makes the Widow and the Griffin Navy issue completely worthless. Um, the Widow, I suppose, not so much, but given the Griffin literally has to be within Scram and Web range to use its ECM, it's it's kind of dead in this change. Um, it's it's helpful, I suppose, the ECM change, um, and it adds a bit of extra dimension for those ECM pilots wanting to use it. Obviously, there are certain ships that can do incredibly uh, big ranges. The Falcon, obviously, years and years ago, could jam you from a light year away, it seemed. Um, but uh, honestly, uh, it, uh, more work needs to be done. But I'd be the first to say I'm not quite sure how much where else it needs to go without causing a lot of overlap or problems elsewhere. Well, to see how it plays. The, the simple change I really wish they would add is that it at least breaks the lock of the ECM ship when you get a successful jam. They can relock you, but it breaks that lock. I, 
it seems very it seems nerfed way harder than it needed to be and that would still add at least a little bit of counterplay mechanic to ECM where you can time it well on a ship that's tackling you or something break their lock warp away before they can get a lock back on you or if you're comboing with dampeners you know maybe you're taking a lot of fire but you can jam them they're not going to stay jammed on you but at least it'll take them a little time to lock back kind of brings in that synergy with this dampener mechanics I don't I don't really see the value of it not breaking the lock. I mean, I guess it doesn't. It's not a question of value, not value. More what CCB wants to do with it, but it seems needlessly punitive to the ECM pilots to not have that mechanic in there, especially when we know that it exists. Like it's maybe it's a question of like they can't implement the top mechanic and he breaks the lock on the ship, locking it up at the same time. I don't know. But ECM breaking locks does exist. We've got the lockbreaker bomb, we've got burst ECM. The mechanic is out there. Let's hop into our top stories. we got the CSM minutes. As Artemis mentioned, very detailed this year. I appreciate there were specific statements attributed to specific CSMs and specific devs. And it didn't seem like a lot of stuff was redacted or NDA'd. It could be that just kind of wrote around it. But aside from one session, I really didn't see a lot of... Can't talk about this. Artemis, you brought this up specifically. Give us your thoughts on the level of transparency this indicates around the CSM process and the value that you got out of the minutes when you were reading them. Well, I mean, even at the very start at the Summit Open, the CSM and CCP had a discussion about the player base's uh perception of the csm how useful they are what they actually do everything like that so i think that these minutes go a long way to helping the player base better grasp what the csm is doing i also as far as how transparent it is i do think there has been quite a lot redacted i think that well then again you have first-hand experience alec but just outside looking in without first-hand experience, I, I get the impression that these meetings are a whole lot more dense than one would expect. And so even though there is a lot of information that we get in these minutes, there's a lot more that is sort of left out. Um, yeah, I mean, the minutes are, excuse me, the meetings are very dense. There's a lot that gets discussed. Sometimes the discussions are not as clean as people reading the minutes might think where, oh, this person says this, then this person says this, and they're all talking about the same issue at the same time. Sometimes there can be a lot of back and forth. Sometimes we can, you know, get rabbit hole or switch topics and then go back to a topic. It's not easy for the minute taker to, like, keep track of everything, and I would imagine there have been some edits to kind of make it more, um, more of a clean narrative, um, that may not have actually been present during a, a given meeting. Although oftentimes there was. Um, but certainly for a reader, if it was literally just a transcript, you you know, I think that, like, that's overly detailed. We don't need that. Um, so it seemed like this was kind of a best-of-both-worlds approach where they, they got into the details of what was discussed and they attributed specifically who was saying what, who was advancing what opinions and asking what questions, answering said questions sometimes. But they didn't really get into like the specific tone of those questions or the specific tone of the discussion. And it wasn't needlessly it, it did seem to flow, let me put it like that. And maybe the discussions actually went like that. Not all of them did at the summits that I was at. 
So I, I would imagine there was some editing and some rearranging of things just to make it make more sense to a reader. One thing I do want to touch on is a lot of the detail in the minutes went towards like the balance section discussions on the upcoming changes, which we saw bear fruit in the October balance pass. Also discussion in quite in a good amount of detail of the new structures that we're going to be talking about later in this episode, the new Sinojammer advertising and um, propaganda structures and the new jump gates. And I think that this is particularly valuable because if you're a member of the player base and you just see a, a change coming out of nowhere from CCP, just pops up out of the ether, then you may not grasp the amount of compromise that may have happened behind the scenes between discussion internally within CCP and also between CCP and the CSM when that discussion does happen. So I think it was incredibly valuable to be able to see these minutes and see how where CCP was at the start, what the initial presentation from CSM to CCP was when this was a CSM going to CCP with the suggestion type situation, and also how much compromise and discussion there was. Like these weren't just out of the blue changes that CCP wasn't um, fully aware of the consequences that could come of them. Then again, that also could be the case where these minutes came out after all the leaks happened on CC with the um, the structure stats and things like that, and also after the October balance pass changes and stuff came out. So this may not be that CCP is lightening up on what is being NDA'd, and more that we just got particularly lucky with the timing. So all this stuff came out, then the minutes were able to release the discussion about them afterwards. The one counterpoint to that would be like the NPE features that we saw. So discussion of the agency changes, the new fleet finder, that, things like that. Also, timing-wise, these minutes would have taken a long time to prepare and would have gotten approval from several CCP departments. So it's possible that the balance patch, like they wrote the minutes understanding that that would be released, but not the structure leaks around the jammer. I don't think that timeline is realistic. Fair point. We will be talking about those structure changes in a little bit. In the meantime, let's get into the word decks. Um... Pretty surprising for me, especially. So CSM7 was very heavily involved in rewriting the Wardex system from what it had been. And I don't know if CCP has new data or if the data around Wardex had changed. But it seemed like they have very crystal clear data that Wardex reduced player engagement and reduced activity. And that is not good. And... It's especially important, in my opinion, that it reduced activity and engagement even after the war deck ended. Like, even after whoever was attacking you, like, the week ended, you can undock again safely. People still didn't undock. That's just, that's crazy. Yeah, that's uh, that's just a sign of whether they had a really bad experience or they really got their asses kicked. I think a lot of war decking corporations basically just do that as their thing. They're quite good at it. I think a lot of the corps that get war decked would really rather not, aren't interested in fighting at all. And as a consequence, their members are not really engaged. And I think also a lot of corporation leadership do their membership a big disservice by telling them to deal with the war deck by not playing. Now, Lave, you mentioned when you were talking about your history that what got you into PvP was getting war decked. That's the same story for me, and I know... Me getting Wardect was during the current system of Wardex. How it is today was how it was when I was being introduced to PvP as a result. Did you have the super old Wardex system, 
or were you in the current iteration of Wardex? It was in the old Wardex system. Gotcha. Yeah, me as well. That was my first taste of PvP. So it, it's interesting that Wardex... Is, is it the case that Wardex are just the only avenue for PvP to be introduced to high-sec players, and so that is why everyone, or at least everyone on this panel, is introduced to PvP through Wardex, or is it the case that Wardex are just a good method of introducing PvP? They're not really... When you really look at it, though, they're not actually representative of the of a lot of PvP styles out there. And, I mean, obviously, MC as a mercenary corporation will routinely do Wardex as part of contracts itself. And you know, we are the aggressors in certain things. Sometimes we get Wardex back, but these are usually by very specialized kind of war deck corporations like that's for them that's their pvp they want to sit outside g2 with seven neutral alts and they will duck at the first sign of any um, potential danger that's their thing that's how they want to play their pvp i suppose how they want to play their game but it gets some results but it's in terms of in terms of what i do in pvp right now um i i physically hate war decks and I can certainly see how a new person to the game, certainly when, when I first started and you know, we noticed that people were just camping us with neutral alts that would basically be able to kind of rep up the bad guys and we wouldn't be able to do anything. Granted, we didn't really know much about the mechanics at that point, but it's it doesn't really teach you much else about, about the mechanics of PvP, at least that's what I can see. It is a it's a big, big introduction to crime, to kind of crime walks mechanic, and the new system itself has made things a little bit more, a little yeah. bit more interesting. Um, but there are clearly ways around it. Well, the reason I bring this up in the introduction of high sec players to PvP in particular is because there has been, and I'm a proponent of this uh, particular point of view. There's been a lot of push to just remove the war deck mechanic at least temporarily, because it is clearly and demonstrably a bad thing for this player base and a bad thing for the game as a result, so it should just straight up be removed. People still will die of ganking in high sec, right? Your 100-man Hulk fleet isn't still safe, because right now that 100-man Hulk fleet can be sitting in an NPC corporation and can't be Wardex, so Wardex don't, already don't affect them. The only thing that's not safe are structures, we can just say, okay, if you shoot a structure in high sec, you go suspect. And that is a, a possible solution. Now, there, there are problems with that, but the one convincing argument I've heard to not remove Wardex right now is that then you really do remove any meaningful introduction to PvP for high sec players. Yeah. So my situation was we got Wardex by a non-professional Wardex corp. I, I don't remember the reason why they did it, it was something to do with a like a disagreement between their leadership and our leadership. I don't even remember how it came up. But they war decked us and, you know, my introduction to PvP was pretty much getting killed. But one thing I loved was I was managed to guilt them into not potting me. Because <laughs> at the time, potting was seen as, uh, like, reprehensible. Like, you didn't pod someone. That was almost a griefing tactic back then. So I really played that up, and they've let my pod go. And I was like, huh, that's cool. And once I got a taste of that, the, I got a good feel for the kind of interaction that Eve could be. And I also had this desire of like, well, they killed me. I don't want to get killed like that anymore. Let me get into this PvP thing. 
And from there, I was like, well, I don't want to be in high sec. I want to be in low sec where the PvP happens all the time and where the rest of my corporation was based. So even though I'm really new, I'm just going to take the plunge. So I took all my stuff and got scouted into low sec. And then that was it. I never went back to high except, like, temporarily. Um, I can easily see how people would take it the other way. Like, oh, I got killed. This game sucks. I don't want to engage anymore. I don't care about getting good at it. It sucks. I lost my stuff. Yeah, but that sort of thing would happen with ganking, whether or not Wardex were in the game or not. Right. The Crime Watch stuff was the big thing for for 7. We had really two issues. The one was how cheap and easy it was to Wardex, and the other was how abusable the Crime Watch mechanics were around Wardex. So those were really the two areas that were focused on in the last Wardex shakeup. I... <sighs> I like your idea of like, oh, just shoot a structure, go suspect. That's going to be super fun if they did that. Uh, but very bad for anyone putting high-sec structures down. Maybe it should be that you only can get war decked if you have a structure. I don't know. But there needs to be some way for various high-sec players to fight each other. I think the issue now is your average high-sec player or your average high-sec corp has no real source of conflict with another high-sec player or another high-sec corp. What you have are guys that war deck all the time. That is their gameplay, as Lave touched on. And then you have the rest of high sec player base who never has any reason to do that because resources are really abundant and there's no reason to directly compete with another person. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't. I would push back on that resources are really abundant point. From my albeit limited experience, like even when I was in high sec, like fights happened over the ice belts. Granted, they weren't us shooting them, but it was you're mining on my rock, so I'm going to bring in a neutral alt and bump you off of my rock type thing. Like Even so, recently I was training up some alts looking for more AFKable methods of earning ISK, and I, I try to do the high-sec ice mining thing, but those ice belts, they evaporate. Even if you have like a pipe that's got 8 to 10 ice belts in it, you're lucky if an ice belt stays up for an hour. Like, Ice, at the very least, is extremely limited, and or with the prolif proliferation of rorks in Nullsec, isn't as valuable as it even used to be. We're even seeing, like it was mentioned in the minutes, that high-sec miners are moving to Nullsec to mine with rorks. So there are a couple of different things we could try and elaborate from, or pull from that particular thing. Like, is Nullsec too safe? Is high-sec not worth it anymore, things like that, but I wouldn't say that resources are overly abundant in high sec, at least not ice, which is sort of the top of the line income from my experience. So maybe not ice, but certainly there's no shortage of moons that they can mineral mine on. There's no shortage of aside from like very specific systems that get mined out really fast, there's no shortage of ore if they wanted it. Missions are infinite. Exploration is not, but there's really no reason to directly fight someone over a randomly spawning thing. It's not predictable. Like, how would you even know to do that? It's, there's market competition, and there's structures that go down for markets, but for the most part, there's no reason, and even or even capability. Like, your average high-sec player doesn't have the ability to kill a Fortizar, but they could probably put their own up because no one's going to kill theirs. That's more what I'm talking about. Although I take your... Ice mining point to heart. I hadn't really considered that. 
I think a point you mentioned there about um, zero zero being safe. The problem is there are, there are structures and systems in place that can make it really safe. You only need to go and look at Delve or other areas out there and the super capital umbrella and various systems in place and how easy it is, technically speaking, to access these areas and go and join these clubs and suddenly you can do this. And then suddenly, why, there's a need, why is there a need to mine in HiSec? Yeah, if you look at the, the, the most some, some of these some of these organizations and alliances won't actually be using their f- space to the fullest extent. You know, they haven't maxed out their space. Now, um, in terms of resources, not being maybe not as abundant to the average player, but I think with the right structures and that resources are very abundant. Resources make ships, and we can see just how many big ships there are in the game now compared to there were five years ago. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, like nullsec. Nullsec space is abundant. Nullsec, the amount of isk you can pull out of it is abundant. There is no scarcity there. I would agree. And while it is can be made safe with player effort, that player effort is still a thing. And even in such cases, it can backfire. Work walls do die. There are a lot of places that don't have the level of sophistication to have super cap coverage for work walls. So there's, uh, it's not quite that simple that null is safe. There are sections of Sol- of Null that are relatively safe because players are like organize themselves very well and in great number and spend a lot of time and effort to make it so. It's there and then in Delve being the case, the Lave you yourself just came back from a Delve room, so it's it's not a guarantee. Far from it. I would rather have miners out there under a super cap umbrella than in high sec. In terms of my ability to kill them. Speaking of fleets, though, uh, Art, why don't you bring up the fleet finder changes they've been discussing? Yeah, so this was discussed in the section where there was a meeting about jointly agency and the fleet finder. And that's a key distinction because uh, I know some people I talked with, when they were just skimming through the minutes, they saw this and they're like, why is CCP changing a feature that works just fine? Why are they wasting dev time on this? But if you actually read through the discussion and you consider sort of the possibilities for what their idea is for this new Fleet Finder, it's quite intriguing. So basically, they're looking to integrate the Fleet Finder. Integrate is maybe too strong of a word, but roll with it with the agency so that you can set up fleets not just for you and your corporation or anyone you have standings with, but you can set them up specifically for a particular gameplay style right so you can have a fleet to go run incursions and anybody who wants to run incursions can see that this fleet is for running incursions and there are ways to handle who sees it things like that that's discussed in the minutes or if you want to set up a fleet to go mission running or you want to set up a fleet to go mining or what have you you can set or the new event sites which are becoming quite prolific the idea is to make these fleets available not just to people that you have standings with. It would make NPSI significantly easier. Um, and moreover, it would and better enable the interaction with other players. So uh, a big stepping stone, which CCP has mentioned previously for player retention, is players getting into combat. And I think it's not just them getting into combat, it's just their interaction with another player. Right, So this new Fleet Finder, especially when you have the agency becoming such an integral part of the new player experience as we're seeing CCP sort of trend towards, it would better enable this, I'm a player, I see something that I want to go try, 
My first thought is not to go try it on my own, fail, and then go away. My first thought is to, oh, there's this fleet finder. I can find someone else to teach me, or I can find someone else to work with to go try this new thing. And I think that is extremely valuable. I'm fine with it. Um, having more fleet finder customization options seems like a good thing to me. Certainly don't really see how it would be bad. Any potential drawbacks that you could think of, Leia? It's not something that I really have had much of a detailed look into, to be fair. I mean, I can I can see where CCP is going with it and to kind of promote the kind of accessibility, wanting people to get into fleets for uh, certain things. Honestly, I'm, I'm just not sure how much of an effect it will have. I'm, I'm, I kind of reserve judgment on this. Hmm. Okay, well, maybe I'm just a bit overly optimistic then. <laughs> I mean, I I don't think it'll have a huge impact. People can already put up public fleets in the Fleet Finder, and it's not rocking anybody's world. Yep, various NPSI fleets that are already established. Some dude in high sec that keeps on saying that I can join his mining fleet. Dude, please. Are you (laughs) sure about that? You can put up a public fleet? No, you just set it to standings positive, or standings whatever. Or not standings, Mm -hmm. uh, security status. Mm, I see. It'll be interesting. I yeah, I I'm still optimistic even after hearing your reservations. I am still optimistic that this will actually be an extremely beneficial change. Okay. Other thing I thought was interesting, um the moon mining situation in HiSec, apparently it's being used quite a bit. I guess that's not surprising surprising. But overall, it seems like CCP is pleased with moon mining in general in terms of how often it's being used and the kind of conflict that it's generating. They were also happy with the moon distribution as well. Yes, which I am not shocked about, considering even a a relatively bad region like Great Wildlands has some good moons in it. I can imagine other regions are swimming in them. Why would you say Great Wildlands is a bad region, though? Like, isn't that just a, a, a holdover from what it used to be with the old moon distribution? Yeah. I mean, well, generally speaking, in terms of NELSEC, NPC NELSEC, not quite as valuable, usually. And in terms of the NPC NELSECs, usually, or at least in the old moon, moon distribution, Venal and Syndicate were always the tops, with everything else kind of being like, eh. Stinkers, Great Wildlands were not that valuable, moon-wise, moon-wise. Well, maybe Stain. The eastern NPC regions, it just wasn't that big of a thing. But now I feel like I feel like there's a lot to fight over in a region that was historically neglected. So I'm sure maybe there are now other regions that are not good, but it doesn't seem that way. What are your thoughts on moon mining and low sec? Because like there is the discussion of low sec with what I think you're referring to here, where they asked about moon mining in particular. There is also the low sec faction warfare slash wormhole session, which the CSM requested, where CCP basically said, "Hey, listen, we have metrics saying activity in low sec is fine," and uh, a lot of people got angry about that, particularly Haiwanto snuff FC slash leadership type guy made a big old stink on Reddit about it. Thoughts on mining in Losec, moon mining in Losec? Honestly, I really don't have any. I uh I don't really think about it too much. It doesn't 
I don't really see the same kind of mining fleets in low that I do in null. I know there are some good moons to be had out there. I just been really focusing on Nelsic, um in terms of moon mining and resources. What's the incentive to mine in Lowsec though compared to null? Because the same threats exist in Lowsec as there are in Nullsec these days. You know, you mentioned snuff there. Super capital presence is huge. You know, I'm pretty sure if you drop a Rorqual anywhere in um anywhere in jump range of them and try to mine with it, you're probably going to get a surprise. Whereas Nullsec has better roids, better distribution. You have a greater kind of ability to defend with the ability to potentially jam and bubble gates. Whereas Lowsec, it's in jump range of everywhere. And you see the same problem in, in Nullsec that is very close to Empire. So then you guys would, or at least Lave, you would be on the side of moon mining in Lowsec is just a net loss because you no longer have fights over the deposits. I don't see what uh, mining in Lowsec um, does that the established systems already in Nullsec doesn't do far, 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 far better. Uh, it's just, as I say, it's it's you have all of the drawbacks of uh, kind of being in jump range of the whole universe and less in the way of protection with no payout for it. Logistics to market is definitely a lot simpler though. I'm trying to remember there was someone somewhere who I thought was a reputable source who said that markets are tending to be less centralized now. They're more like regional markets are becoming a bigger thing than it used to be. People aren't just defaulting to buy Angita, ship to wherever. Now, because minerals can be sourced very easily or very well, even T2, uh, because the T2 stuff isn't as region locked as it used to be from the moon distribution, it's just it's easier to produce locally and sell locally and buy locally than it used to be. So centralized markets and indeed the value of access to centralized markets is becoming less important. I can't remember who said that. Do you guys... Does this sound familiar at all to you? It sounds slightly familiar. I think it would be true. Um, certainly our corp is part of that, right? Yeah. Moon mining has made local production a lot more viable than it used to be. Certainly the small stuff stuff. Small uh, builders at small scale. Can we talk about the fact that the balance team wasn't actually a balance team? Again. <laughs> yeah, kind of go full circle to bring back uh, the balance issue. We got this whole big post like, hey, we're launching a balance team. And then it was kind of walked back a little bit. It's not really a dedicated balance team, but they'll do balance. Now it's apparently like nothing more than it was before. A couple of guys who occasionally work on balance. So nothing has changed. I'm a little disappointed. I like the new patch that they put out as a whole, but don't feel great about the dog and pony show that went into, hey, the balance team, and for what we got out of it, nah. I don't know why they don't think that this is a regular thing that they need to do. Well, I'm glad that you brought up a regular thing that they need to do, because we have had the discussion at length on this podcast in the past about... Lots of quick succession, sort of frequent balance passes versus longer term, more careful balance passes. And it seems from the minutes, in fact, it's explicitly stated from the minutes that CCP Rise wants to make more frequent balance changes to keep things fresh, which is something that I am in particular not happy with. 
Alec, if I recall correctly, you were on board with making frequent balance changes to keep things fresh. Yes, very much so. Lave, what's your opinion? I think you're certainly seeing a lot of games out there that uh, things need to be changed quicker, and particularly with a, a community as vocal as Eve's, if a problem exists, it should be fixed quickly. The problem is that you can well, never really fix everything that quickly. <laughs> Everyone's going to be angry. My issue is like the identification of problems. There are some things like with Ishtar's online that it's quite obvious it's an issue. There are some things like with the 500M and Hicks where it's quite obvious it's an issue. But fixing problems quickly and balancing frequently are two separate problems. They're not the same thing. Balancing frequently is changing the way, changing the balance curve. Whereas fixing things quickly is adjusting stuff which is very clearly off from the balance curve or just frankly broken. Does that seem like a reasonable argument to you guys or do you disagree? I'm very interested to hear Leia's thoughts before I jump in. Okay, so I'm, I'm just just to clarify, um, is it because is it I suppose is it is it a case of not agreeing with it being as a like a reaction like a, as a knee jerk reaction to here's a problem or fix it, or is it more that kind of the overall direction? I would say it's a little bit of both. Like take for example changes to the crow, right? So I would not think that the changes to the crow would be considered something which needed to happen quickly. Because, yes, it's a little bit below the balance curve, but it wasn't so far out of whack that it was an utterly useless ship. And it wasn't like the Ishtar was, where it was so far out of whack that it was incredibly above the balance curve and needed to be fixed, because it was the only thing anybody ever used. The the crow change is something that I think is useful to have happen, because it was out of balance, but it wasn't something that needed to happen immediately or on a quick time scale. So it needed to be done carefully or considered carefully. The changes I'm talking about is particularly to its agility. It was re- increased. So now I think it can get sub two second line time, but don't quote me on it. Also, the, the change to the combat interceptors, right? So where they're just straight up removing the nullifications of that entire class. I think that that sort of change is a change that we're seeing because people think that the combat interceptors having nullification is a problem, that it's super out of balance. And I would disagree with that classification. As a result, I think that a a CCP design philosophy of quickly making balance changes results in this change pushing through when it otherwise shouldn't. Maybe certain ships in the combat interceptor uh, group are out of balance. They're above the balance curve where they where they shouldn't be, and so need to be fixed individually. But because they're making a sweeping change, it's creating more of a problem. Does that make sense? I feel like it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I would point out is that for small ships, for small changes, you know, things where you, where the change is fairly simple, why not why not be able to just make small changes and tweak around that? I mean, it's not well, like CCP can only only have spend a hundred points in kind of like fixing it, so they have to kind of do X, Y, Z. Consider the pilot who is in high sec or low sec, who's just not particularly engaged with the community, right? So they don't keep read the minutes. They don't maybe read the uh, patch notes or whatever. They see a change when they hop in their ship, suddenly their ship doesn't do what it used to. Now, as we know from previous CCP statements, this is actually the silent majority of the EVE Online player base. So if you are just constantly changing 
the way the game works for those players. How do you think they're going to feel about it? Like suddenly they hop in their Drake and their Drake is missing a missile launcher. Or suddenly they hop in their um, combat interceptor. And because they want, they see a skill book out in Nullsec that they need to go get, or they want to go get an or BPO, and suddenly that combat interceptor isn't nullified. Like, I feel like making frequent changes may seem useful to keep things fresh, but it certainly has significant downsides for what is the majority of the player base. That is, they are blindsided by changes all the time. Blindsided, though? Jesus. Yeah. Like... We, they're not voting in the CSM. They're not even giving their opinion on changes. You think they actually see the changes before they come into the game? You mean the ones that are advertised on the launcher every time they start the client? I would hope so, so at least a little bit. CSM. So are the dev blogs, so are the discussions, and yet they still don't interact with it. That's why they are the silent majority. Well, maybe they should get a little less silent. How about that? And the difficulty is that... Um, it, it's it I think in this situation it's one of those it's a situation where it's gonna be impossible to find an absolutely identical kind of agreeable solution that will suit absolutely everyone's playstyle because there are so many different playstyles. And I suppose they have to look at what a ship is currently being used for or or the way that it's gonna be used. So the 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 it might be sad to say that you know the the, the level four mission runner um, who wants to use his Drake might feel that he is impacted more harshly should they desire when they nerf the Drake, for example, when they replace the five percent with the four percent bonus. Um, but that was in the context years ago of there just being Drake armies. And at that point, the Drake itself, similar to where the Ferrex is right now, to be fair, um, the Ferrex sits above the kind of the balance that the the curve it is and at some point the ferrex may come in for a nerf may come in for a range nerf and there may be a group of players out there who use the ferrex for pve purposes for say level three missions perhaps even level fours or may use it as something else and they would be impacted on it but i wouldn't unless unless you create a, a system whereby individual play styles can have individual ship bonuses or something on those lines which get which would get a hideously complex i'm not sure how else it could go well to be clear i'm totally fine with that happening on occasion when there is a ship which is clearly out of balance and so it needs to be adjusted accordingly but making small tweaks to keep things fresh which was explicitly stated in the minutes that's what ccp wants to do just make changes to keep things fresh that it has no benefits apart from keeping things fresh for the PvP side of thing, but it will just continuously bombard these out-of-touch players, who is the majority of the player base, with changes to their gameplay. Notably, changes which could hinder their gameplay. So what, never nerf anything? No, nerf things when they need to be nerfed. Don't change things just to keep things fresh. I think... I think- I think the distinction here is not that they're just changing things for the hell of it. I think the only way you, the community finds out there's a problem or indeed you know, something is broken is when it gets used and abused. So I'm pretty sure the 500-minute Mega Newton hick, when that first got, when that first got discovered, and people were like, oh, God, this is, this is horrible. But it, was never, it wasn't clear at the outset that that was possible until it started being used. Similarly, the claw, you know, the claw has had its bonuses since time immaterial, but only when they disc- when it came in that this could be the fuzzy claw, you know, the sub two second alliance, I'm virtually impossible to catch thing with 150 DPS. 
um, and just swarms of these things going around that they feel have to change. Now, you could quite easily paint that as a change to keep things fresh and to make and to keep the balance. No, I don't think that was at all. That change was a change to a ship which was out of balance, needed to be adjusted. But again, the again, it's I suppose it's how how much above or below the curve does a ship have to be before it becomes a necessary change? So I mean, the, the crow itself is un, is slightly underpowered in terms of its agility compared to everything else. So I I personally don't have an issue with bringing it into parity with its other scepters. Otherwise, why just why fly? Why would you fly a crow for interdiction nullification if you can't get its align time to parity with its other counterparts? So Artemis, in general, do you believe there is some state in which Eve is perfectly balanced? Uh, so first of all, we need to talk about defining our terms of balance. There is balance in the like StarCraft, old school StarCraft sense, where it's all a matter of who presses the buttons fastest and doesn't make mistakes. And then there is like perfect imbalance, like rock, paper, scissors, where there is play and there is counterplay and there is counterplay to the counterplay, etc., etc., etc. There is no one solution to all problems type thing. I think there is a state of perfect imbalance, like the rock, paper, scissors situation, where there may be a good solution to a particular problem, but there is a way, there is a counterplay or there is an alternative solution based on various things. I think that can exist. I don't think that it would be good for Eve if everything was just perfectly level. It didn't matter what ship you choose, it was just as good as the other one for that particular situation. I think it comes down to I, I don't wholly agree because so Eve is so complex. There's so many different ships, so many different weapon types. I think it's, if not impossible, effectively impossible for humans to get it to a place where everything is perfectly in line and the rock isn't the dominant strategy over the paper or the scissor, so to speak. I I think that balancing needs to happen because it's not just to keep things fresh, although that is an effect. It is because changes will have unintended consequences. Changes to the Ferox will make other ships much stronger in comparison, for instance. There's always going to be ships or mechanics that are a little too strong and need to be brought back into line. But when those changes happen or changes that are or excuse me, ships or mechanics that are underutilized and need to be buffed, when those happen, it's going to have unintended consequences that will then need to be addressed by future balance passes. The result of which of all of this keeps the game interesting for those who are out there creating content and driving the like world engine of the game for everyone else in that they don't aren't don't feel like they're playing the exact same game the exact same way picking rock, picking scissors in the exact same situations all of the time for five, ten years. I think that you're possibly interpreting my stance a bit too extreme. So I'm not saying don't make balance changes. I'm not even saying don't make balance changes for years at a time or months at a time. I'm saying don't make constant balance changes for the sake of keeping things fresh. And I'm glad you brought up the point about how complex Eve is, because I think that is particularly important when considering whether something is out of balance or how far something is out of balance, how far above or below the balance curve it is. Because it's a point I've made before that people may think something is broken or OP, but in all reality, we just haven't figured out the counter to it yet, even though that counter exists. So consider, for example, when Boosh Ravens first came out. 
people didn't realize that long-range dreads or long-range um, titans were a relative counter to them, or that mass interceptors were a relative counter to them. And so people thought, oh, this is completely broken, it should be gone. Consider, for example... Um, no, that's a bad example. Never mind. <laughs> I'll give a, another point. So CCP, one of the methods they use to determine what needs to be balanced is look at what's used and what's not used. We just had a massive war in NullSec. Both sides decided, you know what? We need to be sustainable here. We can't be flying around in what would be the best ship for any particular flight. So we're just going to roll with Baltech fleets, right? Mass Megatrons, mass Apox. What CCP sees from their data there is suddenly these Tech 1 battleships are massively used over anything else. Do we think that Apox and Megatrons are overpowered because these groups chose to use them over other things? No. They just happened to fit that particular situation, and that particular situation meant that they were used a lot. So I would, no. I would say that... What? It doesn't mean... like that. You're taking a super simplistic view that I don't think is realistic, which is that CCP goes, oh... A thousand players just used Megatrons. Better nerf that ship. It's not happening. But, but yeah, if two, if both sides of a given war are using the same battleship to fight each other, I would look into it. Like, is there a reason they're picking Megatrons over all these other ships? Are they out of line in some way, whether it's DPS or tank? Let's talk to players. Let's talk. Let's look at how these battles are playing out. It's not just the raw data. I would agree with you on that point, but I'm interested in the fact that we both come to different conclusions from it. Let's table this discussion for a future episode. Alright, let's move on. Fleet Abyssal sites are a thing now. Uh, just got released today. I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, these are frigate-level sites with cruiser-level opponents. You can come in with up to three friends... And it looks like Tech 2 frigs are uh, are able to be used, so you can do assault frigates if you wanted to, logistics frigates if you wanted to. And it yes. is a killable space, so if you wanted to backstab your friends and take all the money, you could. I like it. Before the show started, we were theorycrafting a bit on what ships would be particularly powerful in this setting. And uh, I, I am really... Honestly, at some point, we need to get together and run through, like, once these things are properly balanced and everything, we need to have uh, Declarations of War host, co-host, stream of running these Abyssal sites, just saying. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, good luck. Now, it's worth noting that when discussion of Abyssal sites, and particularly multiplayer Abyssal sites, was mentioned in the minutes, there was no mention of what the what we're seeing now, the changes that are being implemented of three frigates running a site. Nobody was discussing, or there was no discussion of that included in the minutes. It was, do we have two people racing, but they don't actually interact with each other? Do we have direct conflict? Whereas this is interaction through cooperation, but necessarily because you're in the same space together, there could be conflict. Alec, I'm interested that when you see this, you immediately go to, I'm going to betray my friends and take all the loot. Because... <laughs> I don't think, like, the reward system is set up that I don't think that's a viable thing that people are going to do. <laughs> no, no, the, the rewards are not nearly that good. But, for instance, maybe they scale this up so there's a battleship level 1, like the level 5s, and you come in uh, battle cruisers or cruisers, and now suddenly you have the opportunity to kill two battle cruisers and steal what could be battleship 
drops, BPC drops, or maybe the Serum of Valuable Skill books. I don't know. Could be. It also does not... Well, I guess it does specify it must be fleet members, but I could easily see changes to this where it's just the next two ships behind you, generally. Maybe you go in with one friend, and there's still a trace that someone else can follow you through with. There's, there, there's possibilities here. I'm not saying that it's that that's how people are going to use it. I'm just saying it's very Eve that that interaction is possible. The one this thing could, that... Go ahead. Now, this could this could be a multi-boxes game though, on this one because you know, three people can go into this and it's not uncommon for people to be multi-boxing three accounts. You could quite easily find that people will be running these solo. Yeah, true. The place that my mind jumps to is if you're using the, the new Fleet Finder, for example. You could recruit two players to come in and roll these sites with you. Except you go in with like some throwaway, like super cheap or even an unfit ship, and then just like kill yourself, and suddenly these two ships are stuck in Abyssal Dead Space and guaranteed to die. And they are probably very pimped out ships. So we now have a very a new interesting griefing method. <laughs> you disagree? Oh, it's evil. I mean, Alec was talking about Alec was talking about um, you know uh, betraying people. Animus, do you intend to leave them stranded in a vessel dead space? <laughs> I, mean, I, need to, I need to up my game here. If you know your bro is coming in with like three billion worth of implants, yeah, then you really want to backstab him, well, perhaps. Also, does I do admit this definitely reveals that we are very evil people. That this is where our minds are immediately going to, but it is what it is. <laughs> we are who we are. Uh, let's see what else happened. Uh, upwell structure is leaking. Um, not finalized, so none of the numbers, etc. I imagine the graphics probably are, except for the one that didn't have any. I think the new Sinogamer looks pretty cool. It's like a gigantic space antenna. Looks like I should stick it on top of a Keepstar for better reception. Alec, you don't sound as excited as I had expected. Your propaganda structures are happening. Like, this is what you've been asking for since CCP even brought up the idea of player-built structures of this sort. Yeah, we've known they were going to happen for a really long time. Well, you knew they were going to happen, but you wanted details, and the details have come out, and you're just sort of, meh, whatever. Well, uh, the hit points of the structure aren't the interesting part to me. I want to find out what I'm going to be able to do with it. What what kind of... uh, is, is, Is it images? Is it video? Is it corporate advertisement? Like... What can I do with this advertise or advertisement propaganda monument structure? Can I control how it looks? Is it displaying something like a TCU? None of that stuff is in here. It's just the reinforcement timers and shit, which I don't really care about. There is one concern I have for this Sinojammer structure, and I, I do need to ask quickly for clarification on the mechanic if either of you know. So if a structure is taking damage, we know it can't change its fitting. Does that include onlining and offlining service modules? Anybody? That's know? a good question. And I don't know the answer. I don't know about onlining or offlining. Um, I really don't get involved in Citadel management at all. Onlining, I would say almost certainly not. Offlining, I don't know. Here is my concern. So the new Sinojammer, it's a, it's a Citadel-type structure. It's also worth noting that the most interesting thing, or one of the interesting things about these, is they could be anchored within the weapons range of other Citadels. So that's 
basically replacing the, the pause defenses that you currently have because these are pause modules or replacements for pause modules. Yeah. But basically, the design for the Sino Jammer is you can, there's a single reinforcement cycle, and also you can online and offline the module instantly because it's a service module now, so there is no longer the 30 to 35 minutes uh, spool up time for the current pause module, uh, onlining time, pardon me. It's instant. But there is also the opportunity for if you see someone who is just offline their Sino Jammer service module because they're jump frittering in, just shoot that structure for a little bit. Now there's a bit of damage on it. You don't even have to reinforce it. They can't re-online that service module. I think yeah. that is particularly interesting when you're trying to do logistics in a defensive war scenario and you have people like camping in your system or what have you. Like you don't even have to shoot kill these structures anymore. You just have to damage them, like pay attention and know when it's off and then stop them from realigning it. Although very importantly, the realigning process isn't gonna have the timer that it used to have, so it can be effectively instant. Yeah. You're gonna have to really get in that window. Also like as soon as this even if you can put a sino up and then the Sino Jammer turning back online doesn't take it away. So like a, a strategy for if you are worried about spies in your alliance and you want to run logistics is you offline the Sino Jammer without telling anybody. And then as it's ending, lie to Sino, or as it, the online timer is ending, so it's coming back online, you lie to Sino just before, Sino Jammer goes up, and then you ping out to everybody, hey, there's a Sino up if you need it. So nobody else can come in and light Sinos, but you've still got your sign up for 10 minutes or whatever. So you could still do the same thing, except instantly. You don't have to not tell anybody about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, very interesting, the gate info, that there will be tolls on gates, which is awesome. Gates are basically going to be jump bridges, but revamped. Pretty happy about that. I like the idea of setting up jump bridge networks for profit. That's pretty cool. Do we know if the interaction with soft mechanics is changing at all? We do not, although I'm very curious because I do not have SOV and would love to know if I can put these things down. If it requires SOV, I, I don't think it'd be a bad thing necessarily, but it would be very interesting to see if that's absolutely needed. Also not clear if it'll be nullsec only or if we'll be able to anchor these in uh, lowsec as well. Could finally get that lowsec gate to stay. One complaint I do have is the inefficacy of subcap weapons on citadels, like especially against any sort of, like even a 10 to 15 man fleet, citadel weapons are effectively useless if that fleet is designed to fight on citadel grid. So, granted, pauses weren't much better, but I think like if you had a large pause with a jump bridge or a, um, what's it called, a Sino jammer on it, it would be considerably more defensible than like an Astrahas or even a, frankly, a Fortizar would be now. Why do you say that? Well, because like the neutralizers that you would have on them or the jammers that you would have on them, the number of modules you could have on the thing, you could, it would be, especially if you were piloting it, you would be considerably more combat capable than a current Citadel. The number of jammers, yes, not the rest of that stuff, although instant damage weapons would definitely be helpful for Citadels. Like, the fact that all of their offensive weapons are missile-based definitely enables some cheese. 
And yeah, ECM's kind of nerfed on Citadels, but ECM's going to be nerfed in general because you can jam you can jam the guy, but he'll still be able to shoot your Citadel. Yeah, but the like these structures, the Sino Jammer, the Gate, whatever, they aren't defense structures in themselves. They don't have defenses. They're relying on the defenses of their parent structure, whatever they're anchored near. So yeah. if the Asterhaus jams you, you can't lock the Sino Jammer you're trying to kill. Yeah, good point. Well, super interesting. Apparently there's going to be a dev blog coming up very soon, which is going to give us all the details that the leak did and more. Hopefully some of these questions about SAW requirements and the ability of what we're going to be able to do, in fact, with these uh, propaganda structures will all be answered. We will present that information to you here. I suspect, given the timing, it's going to be fully announced at Vegas. I'd be a bit shocked if it's not. Although, given the leak, I hope they have something else for us. Probably not. <laughs> if the propaganda the structures are really cool, though, I am not going to be mad at that at all. Uh, finally, let's get into some uh, like space news, not meta news. There's two interesting things happening. One is Circle of Two is abandoning Fade and heading east, and somewhat related, I would say, is Skill Yourself invading Cache. Both of these are drone landish related items. Uh, CO2 getting the nod from Pandemic Horde, apparently against the wishes of everyone else in PanFam, because they don't like CO2, apparently. So CO2 is headed over, but may not be based in Geminate. They may be going to the drone lands. It's a little unclear. And then just south of that, Skill Yourself is pushing south into Cache. Artemis, what are your thoughts on these changes and what the implications may be? And Lave, I would love to know, after that's done... Like, what are your views on CO2 as a member of PamFam? The CO2 moving to Fade or moving to Dronelands, I know there was a bunch of like drama around it, and particularly there were concerns because Pfeiffer, longtime lead of or one of longtime leadership members of Brothers of Tangra, left Brothers of Tangra, so he's no longer a leadership figure, and there was drama whether that had to do with CO2 moving. I think he straightly said, no, it doesn't have to do with that. It's just a general leadership views on the future of the organization, whatever. That, I'm not sure if it's connected to Skill Yourself invading Cash, though, because just before Skill Yourself started invading Cash, I noticed that there was this small, like, random, it looked like no, they were explicitly like Care Bear alliances or Renter alliances from other places. They all joined up and formed this alliance. And this alliance somehow managed to take three systems on the edge of cash. And I thought, my dog is very surprised by this. I thought this was super interesting because it shows just how undefended or underdefended cash was that this veritably PVE alliance came in and just started taking Sob. And I think after that, some portion of Skill Yourself noticed and decided, hey, super easy pickings over here, let's just go expand our rental empire. In fact, if you look at, there are citadels dying, just like we saw after drone DCU was kicked out of the drone lands. You saw mass citadels dying to just a few supers. Here we're seeing Red Alliance citadels in cash dying to a super and a Lashok. Like, that's it. That's all that's out there shooting. If it weren't for the sheer volume of Sov that is reinforced, I would say this is just one dude and maybe a couple of buddies who are invading cash right now. But even so, the def level of defense being put up by Red Alliance 
by what remains of the Red Menace Coalition is just startlingly low. Well, I think the what remains of is kind of the key element to that. Yeah, since Dreamfleet left and then reformed and then died again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, delay thoughts on CO2 because I... There's a drama bomb. I wasn't really paying attention, but you're a member of the of Panfam, veritably. Um, I wish really I knew more about this. I'm I very. Re- I mean, I must admit, from my point in the game, I do have seeing with MC and I see parts of kind of, like kind of the wider coalition stuff. But I'm honestly not on nearly that much that long enough that I'm often I often get online at the end of the day. I'm scrolling through pages and pages of Slack stuff. And I'm like, mm, okay, that, that happened, that happened, that happened. Um, I honestly, and it sounds weird, I don't really know really what happened either. Um, I couldn't say for certain who did what. And I realize that sounds like a bit of a, of a kind of like a, I'm not going to answer this one. But truthfully, I wasn't paying that much of attention. I was, I was more focused on the, on the fleet fighter stuff and, uh, and generally kind of at the ground level. I know that obviously I've read a bit of what happened on Reddit, bits and bobs there. Yeah, it's 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 not not great in terms of the the wider kind of northern outlook, but I I really don't know the details behind it. How have your interactions with CO two been generally? Um, in the kind of the war itself, they were you know, they did like everything else. It was um obviously a large. I was just I've got a bit of background. Obviously, basically the, the Norval Alliance, if you will, um, you know, hold PLNC, MC, CO two um, against the invading Imperium and allies, and like anything else, that they seemed kind of they seemed okay in the kind of fleets that I saw them with. Um, but I never really kind of never really kind of um, many them any never really kind of uh, kind of worked closely with them, if you will. And I know obviously it was the whole drama about GigX and whatnot. Yeah, still don't know why everyone is, like, fawning over Gigex. I mean, dude got banned for a real good reason. It's not going to be that missed. But nope, everyone's like, no, we, we need we need Gigex back. Oh, he, that's not really his account. That's, that's Mrs. Gigex's account. That's Gigex's son's account. The sons of Gigex. <laughs> God, that should be his new alliance name. I mean, some alliances, some alliances, technically speaking, like that. They kind of built around, you know, person, kind of personalities and egos. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing against them at all. You know, these some some people are such content drivers that people will naturally follow them and gravitate to them. Well, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But the the level of not getting over it strikes me. Yeah, I I think certainly that it it. Whatever it, whatever it is, and it happen it is it just casts a long shadow over them. Yeah, and you're just gonna follow them everywhere as long as they keep up with it. I think part of this is it is the first. It was the first high profile um, result of the changes in CCP's direction when it comes to enforcement of the EULA, the terms of service, the way they handle various threats in and out of game, and the way that they handle their bans. Like, it was discussed in depth in the CSM minutes where previously it was the case that there were two different kinds of permaban, quote-unquote. 
there was one where just you lose access to that account, but you can create a new one. And that's what it used to be in the past. And that's where a lot of people still thought it was. But now it is the case that if you're permabanned, you, the player, are banned. You cannot play the game. You cannot create new accounts. And furthermore, there is very much a cultural shift, a shift in from the HTFU era of EVE to what it is now where you don't make real-life threats, where you don't, even if you make those threats out of game, if it's brought to CCP's attention, then they will action it. And I think that this... This particular situation where GigX is the perfect storm, where it was a high-profile picture, uh, it was one of the cases where GigX was the lead figure in his alliance, he was the lead content creator, creator in addition to being the leader of the alliance, and so that is why it is such a big deal. It isn't just that these people won't get over it, it is literally the perfect storm of why they wouldn't get over it. Yeah, that's fair. Do you think C- do you think CO2 will be able to reestablish themselves in a permanent way anytime soon because I I'm looking at like so there was the the issue with them backstabbing goons and that led them to being evicted from the north eventually then there was the issue of them not going along with uh test and judges diplomacy and then it led to them getting evicted from the south and they went back up to the north, and now no one likes them up in the north, and now they're getting moved to the east. What is it going to take for them to find a permanent home, or is this alliance brand so damaged that they're not going to be able to f- find someone that's going to tolerate their existence, and it doesn't seem like they can go anywhere for more than six months without being evicted or backstabbed or something? I, I would think that their history of going against the grain is why they will continue to be uh, an establishment in EVE Online, but I don't think that they will get anywhere near their former glory. Part of that being due to GigX being gone, part of that just being due to the fact that they've burned so many bridges. But I think that uh, I can say from experience of knowing people who are just attracted to CO2 being the hyper-aggressive, we will fight you, and we want content even if it means we have to backstab people or what have you. Like, I think that that is attractive to a certain portion of the player base, and as a result of that, CO2 will be a meaningful organization, but they won't be anywhere near as strong, even in the political realm, or especially in the political realm, but even in the sort of fleet size, what they can bring to bear front. I don't think they'll reach their former glory. Yeah, I I suspect they would have trouble. I so what you're saying, I hear that, but Try also has that reputation, but doesn't seem to have any of their problems. You know what I mean? Try has that sort of cantankerous go against the grain. We will fight you. We're not going to back down, kind of but thing. But Try didn't have their leader banned. <laughs> no, because Try's leader doesn't do things that gets him banned. Well, there's a difference. <laughs> we should also mention at this point, since we're talking about backstabbing and what have you, the the ganking of BL's Superfleet. Like, that's a thing that did happen. Snuffed Out did just turn on them and gank their Superfleet. In case you missed it. Yeah. Uh, we sh- oh, probably should have talked about that in more depth. But... And maybe next time. But yeah, <laughs> that, that was a short-lived alliance. 
Well, no, quick hot take, Alec. Do you sure. think that the argument that snuff backstabbing them was um, condoned or can be condoned because BL had a history of backstabbing people who asked them to come in as a third party? Do you mm. think that's a valid argument? I do think it's a valid argument, although I don't know if it's valid in saying that BL is known for that, although I haven't really worked with them tons. Uh, the one time I did work with them for third partying, they did not backstab me, so I was fine with it. I think both alliances are, are known for this kind of thing. So one alliance calls in another and says, come kill these guys, but please don't backstab us, maybe. And look how that turned <laughs> out. I really, like... I really want there to be the bad guy in EVE. I want there to be a group who is proud to be the bad guy. And with Snuff, like, when Snuff joined the Imperium, I was really hoping that Snuff was going to roll with, yeah, we're the bad guys now. And that would just be the end of it. And especially, like, with them ganking the Super Fleet, if they had rolled with it like they did when they ganked the Shadow Cartel Supers, like, hey, listen, we had a problem with them, and we were going to be the bad guy. We know that you don't like that we AWOXed our blues, but you know what? That's just who we are. If Snuff would do that, I'd be happy about it. But it seems like some of their members or even some of their leadership just aren't cool with being the bad guy. They can't just quite let that sit, and so they keep having to go back and try and um, explain themselves or get the community to not think of them as the bad guy. I want Snuff to be the bad guy. I'm totally happy with Snuff being the bad guy. But Snuff doesn't seem to be happy being the bad guy. Does that make sense? <laughs> I don't know about if that's true. I think they are relatively happy to play the bad guy. They certainly don't seem to care what most people think of them. Well, then why did they keep trying to make excuses like, oh, well, BL ganked the people who called them in for third party anyway, so this is nothing new. It's totally reasonable, guys. Mind games. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, you know what? Actually, no, I like that. I can I can believe that Snuff is just mind gaming to be further bad guys down the road. I can roll with that. Okay. It's like the, the delusional heel that doesn't think he's wrong. You know? The Everything that he's doing is correct. He's the hero of his own story, of course. Mm. So the not self-aware bad guy. Sure, yeah. Or maybe they are self-aware, but they want everyone else to like see them in a certain light, perhaps. But that's not not enough to stop them from doing the thing. They just do a little bit of damage control after, like uh, Kingpin from Daredevil. Okay, I'll crush my dude's head in a door, but it's not because I'm a bad person. It's because I'm trying to, you know, save the city. <laughs> <laughs> By save it, I mean turn it into a personal crime land where I rule everything. But it'll be so much better that way. Don't you see? Why are you standing in my way? Anyway, host highlights. Uh, mine's a quick one. I had a really cool conversation about Eve history on Discord the other night. Um, I don't know if how on the record it was or not, so I won't say more than that, but it was like an hour-long conversation about the history of the past two or three years of wars, and it was really cool. I had a lot of fun. Probably the most fun I've had not logging in. <laughs> so thanks for that. Uh, my host highlight is has been reading through and discussing the CSM minutes. Like I, these minutes were honestly fantastic. The amount of detail that we got, whether that was uh, an actual change in CCP and the CSM stance on what they share and what they don't, or just happenstance because of the way that changes came out. Either way, 
super happy with it. Like the last week has just been me reading through, thinking about and discussing the minutes and it's been super fun. Life. Slightly more introverted. Um, I've basically just been uh, a lot of a lot of time experimenting with new fits. Particularly, just I seem to be in a bit of a of a, of a fitting spree recently. But it's that's not a bad thing. I hope might might just be a bit OTT. But yeah, you know, I, I I like the, I like the kind of the theory aspect. I like going out there and testing the stuff. And I think my highlight has been you know, going out there, um, into fleets and just trying new ridiculous ideas. You know, it's it's been a real uh, a real difference and certainly um one of the nice things about kind of fcing i think and certainly i would challenge any fc who thinks want to kind of come up to do this is just make your own fleet and run with it and see what happens sounds like it's an old highlight it's an old record i'm sure many fcs out there who established with us known this but it doesn't get older i would not seem good Add a, a bit of grain of salt to that comment. Lave is actually good at fitting, though. So if you're an FC <laughs> who's new to trying this and you, you're going out testing a thing, don't expect to get the same results. <laughs> it does help that he can kind of carry any fleet. <laughs> He's also a good FC. <laughs> that said, if you have the opportunity to join Lave for a fleet, please do so. You owe it to yourself. I am told, like, there was a post on Reddit about your, um, your Romes and Delve being pseudo-NPSI. Is that correct, or was it just you happened to notice this other group that was constantly fighting goons, and so you flipped, joined a fleet with them? Um, generally, it is, it, is some, it is somewhat pseudo-NPSI, or if it's goon, shoot it. So, like, somebody could just roll up, notice that you're online rolling with a fleet, and ask for a fleet invite type deal. I think that there are multiple entities at work in Delvin, the surrounded areas right now. I mean, the, the, the nice thing is the goons have effectively created what is effectively their own empire down there. And that's great. And they're, they're titans. They're, they're basically, you know, conquered Oaken titans. They're, that's Concord. As long as you stay away from them, you should be okay. Would you say it's IGSI? If goons shoot it, yeah, it could be. Mm, I like it. I feel dumb for not being able to figure out what that means. <laughs> Well, I hopefully will be getting in on some of your after eight fleets again. Maybe next week you're, uh, you're gonna be around. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to trying to arrange. I mean, I'm, at some point, I really need to start trying streaming. Yes, dude, we should stream together. Two perspectives, same fleet, and be great. All right, I'm guys, sure I can handle it. <laughs> Get hype. Uh, head to decorationsboard.com to participate in this show's poll. Leave a comment on the episode if you want to join the discussion. Capitalist Army is recruiting. We can use a few good capitalists. Join Capitalist Chat in-game for a bit more info. Currently reaping the rewards of the peace we fought so hard to win. And it has been good. So come in. Uh, this is a great time to join so we can kind of get to know you before we launch our next round of content. And wherever you are, good hunting listeners. <laughs>